tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we dive in, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels. I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lima bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kinda understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah, I wish I was an astronaut. Hello, cats and kittens, and welcome to the latest episode of The Debrief. My name is Brianna Joy Gray, and I am your host today to talk about the latest episode of Bad Faith Podcast which featured Fordham Law professor Jed Sugarman talking about a sort of pessimistic take on what may or may not happen with respect to the legal challenges that are likely to accrue against Biden's student debt cancellation policy. Just a few weeks ago, just yesterday, it seems, we were all talking so excitedly about how despite it being just a fraction of what we were asking for and despite having very little faith or confidence in the Biden administration, it did feel good to even get a fraction of a win. And I think everyone who managed to push the Biden administration so far as to even get that level of recognition deserves a hearty, hearty pat on the back. However, the fight is not over yet. As we heard on today's podcast, uh, Jed has a not-so-optimistic take on how things are going to go if the administration continues to use the uh, legislative hook that it's using for its executive authority um, in uh, the, the idea of it being a COVID-era emergency as the pandemic continues. Increasingly, the argument for why relief is pegged as a emergency measure related to the pandemic is obviously going to diminish, and that is what he thinks uh, – you know, the conservatives who are gathering forces against us are going to do. He does think that there is an out in the alternative, and we can walk through all of that um, today. I have heard from some folks from Strike Debt, and they are not wild about Jed Sugarman's take, and hopefully we'll talk to somebody from the organization going forward, although I've, it's been hard for me to fully understand why exactly Basically, I know that strategically they feel like it's not useful to talk about or highlight his arguments, but without knowing more at this point, it seems to me to be obviously beneficial to start pressuring Joe Biden to take a different approach that will result more likely in not only 
the his plan as stated being successful instead of being chipped away at at the edges, but also leads us opens up the possibility of having full debt cancellation. If you haven't listened to the whole episode, of course, the premium episodes are at patreon.com slash bad faith podcast, but you can listen to a free substantive section over at bad faith YouTube. We try to make as much free as possible. But of course, if you can subscribe, that is appreciated. Well, so we can get into it, but first let me just set the scene a little bit for folks who haven't listened. This is from Jed Sugarman's article in the Atlantic. Now I first can't became aware of professor Sugarman when I saw that he was quoted in a Washington Post piece where he was going back and forth with Harvard professor uh, Larry Tribe, who I also reached out to but was not able to make it for today's episode. Obviously, he's got a lot of other things on his plate. But here's um, what Jed Sugarman wrote in The Atlantic in an article called Biden's Student Debt Rescue Plan is a Legal Mess. The good news is that there's still time to fix it. Okay. He argues thusly, legal challenges are inevitable. Private banks administer many of these loans, and they will incur millions in losses when the debts are canceled, meaning that those banks would have standing in federal court. So remember in the episode we talked about the concept of standing, which means you have to have some non-attenuated relationship to the actual claim beyond just being a quote-unquote taxpayer. You have to be able to prove that you were damaged by whatever policy you're suing on the basis of. And so given that no one is actually really hurt by this other than the student loan servicers, that's who's likely to bring a challenge, which is, I think, a real demonstration of why this policy is so pernicious. Um, okay, state programs may be uh, concretely affected, and, such, and as such, states are likely to sue. These plaintiffs will probably prevail unless a Democrat, uh, the Department of Education rather narrows the plan scope or relies on a different statute when it finalizes the policy. In its memo, the Office of Legal Counsel relied on a post-9-11 statute the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students, or HEROES Act of 2003, as the legal basis for this executive action. Okay, by by, you know, so it's the it's the own it's the administration's own memo that points to the fact that it's using the HEROES Act as the hook. The statute, the OLC explained, allows the Secretary of Education to make major changes to policy if quote a national emergency caused student borrowers to be placed in a worse position financially. The OLC concluded that the coronavirus pandemic fit the text of the statute as a national emergency and that a debt relief program would ensure that Americans with student debt were not left in a, quote, worse position. As a matter of narrow textualism, all of this seems plausible. And as a matter of administrative law, circa 1990 or 2000 or 2010, under a famous or infamous precedent known as Chevron, courts are supposed to defer to reasonable interpretations of ambiguous statutes. However, a lot of administrative law has changed over the past decades, especially in the last year. The Roberts Court has effectively abandoned Chevron deference to the executive branch in questions of, quote, vast economic and political significance. So in other words, courts used to defer to administrative agencies in terms of how these statutes were interpreted. But now, under the Roberts Court and more conservative courts, they're like, no, actually, if it's a matter of vast economic and political significance – a quote-unquote major question. We'll 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 take a we'll take a turn at this in interpretation. Um, so it instead emphasizes the context, purposes, and legislative history of the statute as a matter of theory and common sense. This distinction between quote major questions and more mundane or technical agency policies makes sense. Judges do not have the time or experience to dig into the historical details of statutes in many mundane or technical cases. But when the policy is major. Statutory purposes are more readily discoverable, and they must be clear and salient to permit an executive agency to make a major policy change. 
So the argument that Judge Sugarman makes is that when the Roberts court, which is even more conservative now, obviously, with the new Trump judges appointed, takes a look at this, they're going to say that a 9-11 act that was supposed to be about emergencies does not apply to COVID now that COVID is quote unquote over. And this is what I was pushing Jed on a little bit in the episode saying, well, is the problem really here the act that was chosen as a hook or is it that the Biden administration basically let this go so long that there is increasingly a credible argument that COVID is over and this is no longer, you know, uh, reasonably like or credibly, you know, characterized as COVID era relief. So we went back and forth over that a little bit. But Jed ultimately says that there is uh, an out. Um, first, explaining that, you know, even Biden's own speeches make it clear that this is an issue that predated COVID. Obviously, we all know that the student loan crisis is something that is not just a COVID era phenomenon. And in the same way, arguably, that Trump's own speeches saying that he really was out to get Muslims into the, you know, put a, put a death knell of the first Muslim ban Biden walking around talking about how the student loan crisis is a longstanding crisis will be used against him in a court case where the administration is arguing that the whole reason for student debt cancellation is COVID. It's not COVID. It's bigger than COVID, which is why Jed Sugarman argues that uh, they should basically use this Education Act instead as the hook. Again, I hope to get someone from strike debt into weigh in on this and why it is that the Biden administration has seemingly chosen a route that is likely to fail per Jed Sugarman, not just because of the conservative justices, but the liberal justices as well, who, if they were to find that this kind of pretextual hook is, you know, is reasonable, it would be against their previous findings and inconsistent in a way that he thinks is unlikely to happen. And Jed's warning is that if this is something that's overturned, not just by a conservative majority in the court, but by a bipartisan, you know, majority or perhaps a 9-0 decision, then it will really hurt the battle in the long run for student debt relief because it won't even be written off as a partisan maneuver but as just uh, bad law and bad policy. All right, that's enough of me talking. Let's get some folks in here. Red, what's on your mind? Yo, what's the word, Bree? <laughs> I'm good. How are you, Red? Oh, man, I'm high as hell. Well, oh, I started I'm, talking shit. I'm, I'm a little bit jealous. I'm nursing uh, half of a beer, so I'm trying slowly to catch up with you. <laughs> Are you having a good night? I've been has I've been has I've been has since I don't think I've been sober since the last time we talked, like last week. So <laughs> reason though, reason though is because I just yesterday I just crossed the threshold over the twenty eight. Hmm. So, Happy birthday! Thank you, thank you. Shit, I'm still trying to like game of functions. <laughs> this is you're, oh, you're a Virgo. It's still Virgo season, right? Yep. Yep. Happy, no happy, happy birthday. I have no idea what that shit means. I don't be following that astrology shit like that. But <laughs> that's part of the reason why I don't be telling people what my birthday is. And the other reason, obviously, because it's 9-11. So. Oh, that's rough. That's rough. Well, look, you share, you know, there are many illustrious Virgos. Your birthday is just a couple days after Bernie's, I think. 
Yep, yep. I won't read your entire chart. I'll just say that Virgos, without Virgos, the world wouldn't the world wouldn't be able to to continue to function. So I thank you for your service. But what's on your mind tonight? Oh man, oh man. I feel like I don't get enough of that. So I thank you so much. <laughs> what the whole? Okay, what the whole fuck? I spent two whole weeks trying to avoid this damn topic, and somehow it passed this way right back. <laughs> All right, look. Okay, look, fuck the laws, fuck the lawsuit, fuck them trying to like find every damn loophole that they can overturn this shit. Let's just go ahead and just say it was real. Okay. This policy, this policy was doomed to fail from the start simply because these motherfuckers know what we've been asking for all this time. And I'm, I don't even got no debt, and I'm even rethinking college now. But these, we, we've been asking for just straight cancellation just all the time. Like, why are you going to do it at this incremental why are you gonna do it at this level to where now like everybody got a reason to complain and find a, a neck out of it this motherfucker done came to the damn table with breadcrumbs and it's like no i don't want no bread i don't want no breadcrumbs i don't even want like some slices of bread here and there give me like give me the whole like give me the whole slice where's the negotiator where's the left negotiator to go like is this as far as we if this is how far we could have pushed Biden to the left, then we need some new we need some new reps up there to get on his ass, man. Cause now everybody so what? Everybody flick around and complain how student debt? Okay, Bree, quick question. Yes. This doesn't affect us and we, we don't gotta pay no taxes on this, right? Because I've been saying this shit for the longest. Student debt cancellation? Yeah. No. Alright, cool. So mom cool so damn my girlfriend doesn't know what the fuck he was talking about so 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 it's like this it's like red if if you lent me twenty dollars and just decided one day to say you know what brianna i'm good just don't pay it back i'm good yeah you technically that's that that's what it is so it's the government saying i lent you these loans and i'm just saying i'm not going to take it back now technically you are out i mean like you that's twenty dollars that you are not that's no longer in your pocket that you're not going to be able to spend on X, Y, and Z. But given what we know about how the government finances itself, it doesn't finance itself through taxes. And what we know through MMT is that it doesn't, um, you know, print money to spend the money that it, you know, basically we collect taxes to control the amount of money that's in circulation and control for inflation. But it's not as though that's like $20 that's not going to be spent on some social program or something that we actually value. And we see that right now in terms of how they are, Printing endless money to send, you know, eighty billion dollars total or whatever it is now to Ukraine, and so it's it's like any other. It's like if there's a tax cut, if there's any other of these kinds of things that happen, the government regularly does to benefit usually affluent people. That's all it is. It's the government saying we're not actually going to ask back, ask the, ask for the money back, and in fact profit off of the loans that we issue so that people can get an education. Oh. Man, what the fuck, man? That shit. So, all of that, they still feel like they still feel like they can just, man, we're gonna sue anyway. We we gonna find some way to fight this. It's like and all this shit, and now they start talking about impeachment too. It's like at this point, impeachment ain't even worth a damn no more. Back when Nixon and Clinton caught them <laughs> shit, this shit was taboo. But like Trump got like two or three of them motherfuckers, and them shit's just been taking it seriously as like a verbal warning. At, at, written up at work it's like y'all just write them up for what so now okay so is ever so now 
is everybody just gonna get ready and just come out and just be like, well, this doesn't help me, and then so they're gonna come at it. Okay, you can't come at it pandemic wise because oh, well, the pandemic affects everybody in different ways. So won't you say the same thing for laws? I mean, laws that apply to maybe like somebody that with disability wouldn't apply to somebody like me, or laws to like certain labor forces and everything don't apply to everybody. So why do we have to keep passing legislation? That applies. That applies and work for everybody. I'm not gonna sit here. I'm not gonna sit here and pass like vegetarian. I'm not gonna sit here and pass like vegetarian laws for just for just everybody and just be like, all right, everybody's just straight vegetarian. No, nothing else, nothing in between. And it's just society don't work like that. Yeah. So I mean, I, I guess you're responding to this idea that folks have been saying this doesn't help me. So I don't support this policy. My, I already paid off my loans or my kid already paid off their loans. So this is unfair. And I, I completely agree with you. I think that that one is completely inconsistent with all of these other giveaways to usually middle-class and upper middle-class people that nobody ever cares about. I'm including the uh, $1.7 trillion of Trump tax cuts, but you know, in, in the mortgage write-offs that people get who own homes up to the value of $750,000 and all of the tax credits for getting married and all of these other kind of things that help some people and not other people. People with children get an enormous tax benefit as well. They should, um, you know, not just the ta- child ta- ta- tax credit, but all the money that goes to schools and all of that kind of infrastructure that, you know, has nothing to do with me, for instance. So, you know, I think that it is deeply cruel and inconsistent of people to suddenly start to act like, oh, my tax dollars shouldn't go to X, Y, and Z. And of course, nobody's tax dollars anyway. But in this instance, Red, it's not actually about that kind of rhetorical pushback, which doesn't really change what Biden can and cannot do. The issue here is that even though he does have authority under an exec, you know, he has executive authority, executive authority, as I understand it, is, is extended via congressional statute by legislation and the legislative hook that Biden is relying on to have the executive authority to cancel loans per his own administration's memo is this 9-11 era act that is very that is arguably offers a more limited scope for what he can do and so when the court tries to interpret whether or not he does in fact have that executive authority based on the statute that the administration has put out there it's possible, according to Judge Sugarman, plausible that they're going to say, no, you actually don't have authority under that statute. Now, Judd says that there's this other statute, the Higher Education Act of 1965, which allows the Department of Education to enforce, pay, compromise, waive, or release any right, title, claim, lien, or demand, however acquired, including any equity or any right of redemption. So they can, they can cancel the loans under that act. And it's not clear to me why the Biden administration would not have cited the Higher Education Act of 1965 instead of the HEROES Act of 2003 or whatever. But Jed's point is that it's not all necessarily over if the, if the Biden administration pivots, but it's not clear what's going on with them right now. Oh, God, don't give me a cop. Don't give a compromise cop out because I know he's going to go that route. Man, I feel... I feel bad for you motherfuckers that got this debt, man. This shit is this shit is nuts. Oh man. Oh, do I see Sparky Abraham in the chat? Sparky, do you want to come up and talk to us? Sparky Abraham, yeah, you know but- he's been a guest on the podcast many times before. He works with Strike Debt. He's my favorite consumer protection lawyer. 
Yeah, I'm kind of happy. I, yeah, actually, you know what? I was kind of happy I got first because I actually like to sit back and like listen to everybody else. So I ain't going to keep you up. But this, this shit is just nuts. So it's just like my thing is this, though. So, like, let's just go on. Let's just go out of the whim here and just say that the Supreme Court come back and say that, like, oh, well, this was done unconstitutionally and some shit. And they just try to block it. Or if Biden himself going to find some way to just, like, step in and be like, hey, you know what, uh, change plans, y'all, I, I, I apparently don't have the authority to do this, I'm reneging, we're gonna do something else, like a tax, like a tax credit of blah, 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 whatever, so, is he, so it's just like, I kind of got like a little conspiracy feeling that like, suddenly now that Trump's out of office, now like, oh, all of the stuff that came from the woke left, now we gotta stop taking it less seriously, so they're trying to like, discredit any, like, any kind of efforts to like, give relief to actual to actual people whether it be like dead or whether it just be like three years or whatever it's just like god damn so what do we have to pass laws that abide by everybody and shit that's why the fucking country's going stupid right now well yeah look i do think there's a real tragic lack of um solidarity and every everything is perceived as a zero-sum game and people are so afraid that a benefit to somebody else is going to come at their expense that they are instinctively in, in a knee-jerk way furious at the idea that anybody who's not them um, and not virtuous as described by society would ever get any attention from the government. And I think we should live in a society where people who are the least well-off and most marginalized are getting a disproportionate amount of attention. But unfortunately, the way we've designed it is that it seems to be the only people who a lot of folks think are worthy of getting any help are those who don't need any help because <laughs> yes, yes. failure is being seen as people's own, uh, as, as evidence of people's own, um, moral, uh, inferiority. So that's part of the failure job, right? To fail your way, what? So what? Fail your way up and fuck the needy and just help them. Fuck the needy, but give to those that are, but give to the haves and not the have-nots. Y'all, man, this shit fucking crazy. This shouldn't be surprised. This fucking country is already, look like it's going like ass backward and just making it like an education just ain't worth the time. No way. Like I saw some shit where they said like the U.S. has 280,000 less teachers before the beginning of the pandemic up to like right now. So like I did the math mm-hmm. on that. It's like 50, so for like 50 states, divided by 280,000 that'll be 5600. So that means each state on average lost about 5,600 teachers. That mm. Man, y'all better get high. Y'all mm. better get high and better find some way to get by, man. This is about to get real ugly out here. Yeah. Well, people are hold you up free. And, yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate you as always calling in red. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad to have um Keep the faith, stay high. <laughs> Keep the faith, Red. <laughs> and I'm so glad to have Sparky in the chat. Sparky, help me understand. Thank you. Welcome to welcome to uh, the debrief. Sparky, why can I? I see that you unmuted yourself, but I can't hear you for some reason. Can other people hear Sparky? Sparky, I see that you're there, and I see that you unmuted yourself, but for some reason, let me make sure I don't have something muted. No, I should be able to hear you. Oh, okay. Give me a second. Okay, all right. Uh, While Sparky's getting situated, I'll bring Pierre up. Pierre, what's on your mind this evening? 
Hey. Hi, Brianna. Hey, Pierre. What's on um, your mind? So I originally, you know, I tried calling in last week and I was like on deck when you ended it. So that was kind of like, oh, man. It was, <laughs> I'm sorry. It, was, it happens to the best of us. I I'm know. glad you made it up here. Yeah. So I'd originally wanted to kind of um, talk a little bit more about the third party thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know you want to touch on the student debt thing first, if that, or what do you think? That's Is okay. That... Go ahead and ask your question about third parties. Well, okay. So I think that, um, you know, I know it's been well-tread territory and it's been talked about a lot, but I kind of wanted to mesh it with the idea of strategic voting and how it's kind of underrated. Now I consider myself like a liberal, but with like a liberal elect with electoral strategy, but with leftist uh, sympathies for like out political outcomes, like Medicare for all, you know, higher minimum wage, all that stuff. Um, but the thing is, is like, I feel that um, there's a definite, if you had to choose between the two parties as the more progressive party, which one would you think is the more progressive party? It's the democratic party in my opinion, compared, if you compare the two, I'm not saying it, they go far enough. I'm not saying they're I mean, bold it, enough. I don't think that anybody really disputes that, but people don't like being forced to answer that question because people pretend that the answer to that question proves something about what strategy should be pursued when I think the opposite is in fact true. Well, but yeah, let me tease that out. Why, why I bring that up because I, I bring that up because it's true. There shouldn't be just a binary choice, but the fact of the matter is for multiple reasons, having a third, a competitive third party in the national elections, you know, Senate, presidential elections is very difficult. And it's been done like Ross Perot did it, but even him didn't get one electoral vote out of it. And so, um, the, and then there's also the, I read a good book um, talking about how unique our system is compared to other democracies. And they made the argument it's the primary system and, you know, primary system that makes it very hard. Um, not as many people talk about that. They focus on first past the post. Um, the other thing I would say is that the Democratic Party is. Made- I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, that was the, I just want to make sure that that was the end of that point. That- yeah. Okay, well, so I, I yeah. really appreciate that, Pierre, but I think that's pretty well-trodden ground here. Everyone knows that there are difficulties in mounting a third-party challenges, and with all due respect, Pierre, I think I can speak for the chat and say that nobody here cares. Like, nobody here cares. Everyone understands well, that it's very, very hard. Care, but if, they might not oh. care, but if they want to see progressive outcomes, those need to be factored well, in more than they Well, are. no, Pierre. The, the, the thing that we've been t- talking about for months now in this call-in is that we don't see progressive outcomes whether you vote for Democrats or not, period. You don't see that progressive is, that is, outcomes at all? No. No, not at all, but What's in a way to- that – wait a minute, wait a minute, Pierre. In a way that makes it worthwhile for the people in this chat who work hard for their money and have limited uh-huh. time – uh-huh. To devote their time and money and boosting another candidate within the Democratic Party. Now, I'm not here telling anybody what to do. I'm not telling anybody what to do either way. Everyone knows what decisions I've made living in the states that I've made and making my own personal decisions. And I respect the people who come into this chat who have much more precarity than I do, 
who have much more at stake than I do, who say that they have made a decision no longer to support the Democratic Party. But if, I, if, 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 the, if the conversation, Pierre, right now that you're having is to just simply restate how difficult it is to mount a third-party challenge, with all due respect, I just don't think that that's a, an especially useful contribution right now because nobody here is ignorant of that fact. And at a certain point, it starts to feel almost insulting when people keep popping up and saying, well, don't you know it's really hard to run a third party? Yeah, everyone knows, which is why we'd like to spend less time talking about it and more time just doing it. Right. I understand that. I, I don't mean to to be to to be hackneyed about it. And that's why I wanted to call in because I wanted to give a little bit more of a little bit of a variant on that perspective. Um uh, you know, okay. so for Is it is it gonna yeah. be a variant though, Pierre? Let's let's I hear it. Well, I think it's gonna be a variant because what I would argue is that, you know, you can have a third party and basically like Say you you run a third. I think at one point I heard that like running a third party every four years is is can be one of the strategies in the presidential election, and there's I think some merit to that, but the track record, for example, like Nader in two thousand. Okay, well Nader in two thousand would have been more progressive than Al Gore, of course, but what Nader running, you know, it made it more likely that uh, Gore lost. I don't know the specific breakdown of the numbers. So then you end up getting less progressive policies than you would. I think, I mean, I would contest that the Democratic Party is more progressive than the Republican Party. And I understand you acknowledge that to a degree, but I think that that is almost like underplayed. And the whole idea that like Republican um, policies are much different than or are just slightly different from democratic policies i think is kind of um i don't know i don't think that's quite accurate i think that if you run a third a leftist third party every four years um okay well let me let me let me actually point point out the alternative scenario so let's say so the republican party is made up of different coalitions right it's got the business coalition it's got the evangelical coalition it's got all these different things. I think the Democrat Party has more coalitions, but the, the Republican Party has different ones, right? But let's say the evangelicals, they don't get exactly what they want every four years, right? They don't get a Republican Party that does everything they want it to do, right? So instead of doing that, what if every four years they ran an evangelical party? And then every four years, the Republican Party would lose, and then they would get none of their policies implemented. So I feel like, you know, just like evangelicals are one part of the Republican coalition, leftists are one part of the Democratic coalition. And so unless you're willing to, like, basically take roll that dice every four years, you're going to basically set it up to where you Pierre, get zero percent. Pierre, in service of the evangelical wing of the Republican Party, Republicans just abolished abortion. You tell me when the Democrats do something that's as core to the progressive agenda – as abolishing abortion, I will consider thinking of myself as a co-equal member of the Democratic well, Party and a coalition that has value able. and is considered and is weighted at all. And as long as the Democratic Party, this is my opinion, I'm not speaking for the chat, but as okay. long as the Democratic Party treats me as more toxic and is more antagonistic to me and my interests than they are to Republicans like Liz Cheney, who they court aggressively to come in the party at the same time that they put the middle finger up at the base of the party – then I do not see myself as being able to work in coalition with them. And if Ralph Nader 
If, if, if Al Gore didn't want to lose to Ralph Nader, he could have taken the list of 20 or so agenda items that Ralph Nader, he mm-hmm. talked about this on his, on this very podcast last year, maybe it was the year before last now. Uh-huh. And, and he said, pick three items off of this list and do them and I will drop out of the race. Al Gore decided to ignore that rep- that request because that's how little he respected or thought of basic populist, broadly popular agenda items presented from the progressive flank of the party. And so if you have a concern about Al Gore losing the election, you can talk to Al Gore about it and why he threw the election because he was so arrogant and pompous. He decided not to listen to the progressive base. And you can have a conversation with the Supreme Court about it. Yeah, because well, they I ultimately the are just the people who decided that George Bush won that election. But it I has nothing to do with my interest as a progressive advocate. Okay. I take your point. But going back to like how they got abortion passed or abortion uh, overturned or Roe v. Wade overturned, well, that was because evangelicals didn't break away. They stuck with their they stuck with the Republican Party. Republican Party won, and then they got three justices to implement the policy they wanted. So I'm saying that actually lends more validity. Yeah, and, to, and progressives to haven't broken away for the last hundred years of getting screwed royally. And now I think they should try to do something differently. But if you, with all due respect, Pierre, if you want to keep voting for Democrats for the time being, it is a free country and you have it well, well within your rights to do that. But Pierre, I promise you, you're convincing zero people on this call of, okay. of taking well, that approach. But that's what I, that's what I expected. I, I would say, the value of here's what I think about voting in general and politics in general. Pierre, Pierre, with all due respect, I, I I will I would entertain this longer if this weren't a conversation about a different subject. But please do call in on Thursday because the, this will be the topic again on Thursday. I spoke to James, Dr. James Ogby, who is on the Democratic National Committee and who's been fighting this fight for literally decades. Who is a senior advisor to. Um, Jesse Jackson, who got screwed when he was advocating for the Jesse Jackson campaign, got screwed when he was advocating for the Bernie Sanders campaign. And I asked him the questions that you are bringing up right now. Why on earth do you still think that you can fight within the Democratic Party when we just saw you're talking about how we got these Supreme Court justices? Well, it came from millions and millions of dollars in dark money that were part of this process and funding FedSoc and their pipeline to get these conservative, overwhelmingly Catholic, doctrinal judges on the Supreme Court. And if we, and, and that's the influence of dark money. And James Ogby is in the news right now because he tried to pass a resolution to get dark money out of the Democratic Party. The dark money that's making it harder and harder for these progressives, the Justice Democrat candidates, to even stay in office and even do anything. He was not only shut down; they wouldn't even let him debate the resolution. And so we will have a conversation on Thursday about whether or not we think that that is evidence of what I'm saying, and the Democratic Party is a lost cause or what Dr. Zogby argues, which is that the, your case that ultimately it's the only, it's the best Avenue we have and we have to keep fighting. But right now I want to, especially since we have Sparky in the chat, preserve this, this time to talk about this week's episode, if you don't mind Pierre, but I really do appreciate you calling in. All right. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Keep the faith. All right. Sparky, are you with us? Did you manage to get this thing? Hello. Can you hear me? I can. How you doing Sparky? Clue us in. Sparky? Yes. What is going on? Tell me, tell me why (laughs) Jed Sugarman is causing heads to turn around. I feel like I really stepped in it by having him on the podcast. I read, I saw his take in the Washington Post. I wanted to know what was going on and what our odds were of actually overcoming a, 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 a legal challenge. I thought that he made some solid points about some vulnerabilities in the plan as articulated in the Biden memo. Is he wrong? 
look, I don't think you stepped in it, and I don't think that I don't think that Jed is necessarily wrong. I think that what I'm worried about is I don't want people to hear his points and get discouraged. And I think that there's kind of a, there's a, a fatalistic point in there somewhere where it's almost like, well, we're just screwed because our nine our nine mommies and daddies on the Supreme Court <laughs> are going to tell us no. And we just have to decide whether we want them to tell us no, nine to zero or six to three. And I, I just think that the world is much more uncertain than that. And, you know, just to say like a couple of things that I, I think are true to start with, right? Like okay. every single dollar of student debt is unjust and it all needs to be canceled. Uh, any cancellation program that doesn't cancel all student debt is not actually achieving justice. Amen and, to that. <laughs> and having full student debt cancellation for 20 million people is a really big deal and is going to be transformative in those people's lives. And we need to do everything we can to make the bigger goal happen and to make that happen along the way. And, I, you know, I just I am not an administrative law expert, though I do think that there are some nuances that I disagree with Jed on, particularly around the standing question. And in terms of the way that the student debt system actually works, whether the parties who he thinks have standing will, in fact, have standing. Mm. Um, but I, I guess the point that I just wanted to make is like, this is this is so far from a lost cause. And I'm worried that to you kind of brought up on the podcast this point about reliance, right? Like, what about mm. people relying on this? And mm. the response was like, well, you know, they'll get a they're going to go and get a federal court to stop it before anybody has a chance to rely on it. I don't think that's necessarily true. And the last thing that I want people to do is just assume this is done, assume this is finished and not rely on the statements by the president, you know, like in accordance with at least some of his campaign promises that this is going to happen. And from the secretary of education and in doing so, basically like create a circumstance in which challenging it is easier because everyone kind of knows it's, it's not going to happen anyway. Mm. Mm. Okay, so I hear that we want to create reliance interest, basically. So everybody just tweet frantically about all the things you're going to do when your student loan debts get canceled. You know, make wild financial decisions that you wouldn't otherwise have made. But <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, obviously. But tell me more, Sparky, about this um, standing point. So as we discussed on the podcast at the top of the podcast, standing is the idea that you have to have some relationship to bring uh, to a claim. Do you have to be, have, be able to demonstrate that you're harmed in some real way in order to bring a claim? So Jed has argued that the most likely claimant is going to be a um, student debt servicer. And I asked him also if a student debt servicer or some other claim, claimant might have standing to force the moratorium to end you feel differently about his answers on those things? Yeah, 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 definitely. So I, I think especially on the moratorium, um, and, and and I'm sorry, maybe maybe I was confused about, about what, so my understanding was basically you were asking him, would a student loan servicer be able to, right, to sue to force the moratorium mm -hmm. to end? And, and he said, mm -hmm. he said basically, yes, outside the context of the emergency. I think that is just kind of like a, um, I think a mistake about how the system works right now, which is that the student loan servicers are still getting paid right now. They're still servicing. They are certainly not experiencing any harm as a result of the moratorium. Um, oh, interesting. So the same not... goes for the state guarantee agencies, who he also mentioned. So they're not paid on the basis of actually 
you know, collecting to the fact that they're just holding the loans and sending us emails periodically about when our loans are going to start up no, again. They're that generally is paid. They're generally paid per account that they're servicing at any given time. Um, so okay. They, so just holding the, the, the debt for them is enough. The or, whole, or just holding the debt the for them is, it, to, yeah. is enough. Exactly. And, and, and I would also point out that like on that basis, the, you know, they are not like nobody's going out of business as a result of this cancellation. As we know, as we are pissed about, the cancellation is leaving 25 million people in debt, at least. And, hmm. you know, so what we're talking about is, it, it, and then there's also, this is happening in the middle of sort of a big federal shakeup in terms of who the student loan services are. As most of you probably know, as your loans switch from Great Lakes or from Fed loans or from Nelnet or Navient, and now maybe you have Advantage or you have Mohila or somebody else, right? Like these servicers are just federal contractors. They have a contract that controls what they're doing and what they're getting paid for. They're getting paid by the federal government. And those contracts can be altered and changed and ended basically every year, sometimes less than every year for any number of reasons. So I don't think it's at all obvious that this is going to rise to the level of an extraordinary extraordinary harm for the servicers that would actually give them standing to challenge this particular policy, as opposed to anything else, given the level of power that the federal government has over them on this whole on this whole front. So I obviously very much want that to be true, but I got to push back, Sparky, a little bit because, I mean, something like one third of all student debtors are having their debt wiped out completely by even Biden's meager plan, right? Like, and on top of that, this this cancellation, even though truly is not anywhere near what it should be, does represent, it's got to represent a significant chunk of the overall debt outstanding. And you're saying that that, like if this were any other industry and we said, uh, you know, meat sales are going to drop by one quarter or one third or one half or whatever it is, that obviously would have a devastating impact on many sectors in the industry and many small um, producers would probably at least fade from public view. I mean, I've read stats that say if we all went to eating meat once a week, it would basically destroy the factory farming industry. So is that not the, is that not also true for some loan servicers? You know, I don't want to speak too authoritatively on this. I mean, I think that there is there's at least one good article that I've read, which I'll post in the chat right now about these standing questions more broadly. Um, I think that the fact the difference here is that these loan servicers are on contracts with the federal government that spell out exactly what they're going to do and what their rights and obligations are. And those contracts don't last forever. Mm -hmm. Right. So you know, the federal government can just cancel and in fact did cancel loan servicing contracts from a number from a number of servicers. So, you know, exactly how much interest do they have in the continuation of student debt? Well, it might not last past mm-hmm. a few months at any given time. Yeah. And that is a, a like a really perverse argument to say. I mean, any on that level, any company that was ever negatively affected by a government policy could say, I mean, could sue. I mean, like people do, I guess, do this. They make takings arguments. They make all kinds of cases that government policies are constructively stealing from them. (laughs) But yeah, it does that. That would set a really terrible incentive that would basically hamstring the government from doing much of anything of anybody who was negatively affected from a business perspective by a government policy could basically enjoin the, the, the government from following through on that policy, especially since in this case, they wouldn't even have the job. I mean, they're, they are. Your point about them being government tra- contractors is real. 
you know, they wouldn't have right. a job, but for the government setting up the system to administer its own policy. Right. And so the question is like, you know, do, do you have a legally protected interest in terms of standing law? Do you have a legally protected interest in the volume of business that, by the way, is also kind of contingent on a bunch of other things that the government has contracted you for specifically for this little period of time? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just don't think it's at all obvious that 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 that's a winner for them. Um I think it's it's very possible, and and you know I haven't looked in depth at those loan contract or at those servicer contracts. Like, who knows what they say? But like, that's all going to be very relevant to this question. It's not just oh well, they've invested money in doing this, and so therefore they have to continue to be able to do it. Like, no, the government yanks this stuff from them all the time. Yeah, I mean, if the government were like, okay, we're going to do an infrastructure project in San Francisco and build a bunch of bridges. And then the big one happens and the whole West Coast sinks into the Pacific Ocean. Like imagine some companies saying, well, you have to honor this. I mean, things change. Policies change. Yeah, You're not exactly. going to build a bridge to nowhere. And even, I mean, and even more directly than that, right? I mean, there have been proposals on the table for the government to do the servicing for either some subsets or for all the loans in-house, in which case it would just mm. end the servicing industry for federal loans altogether. Would mm. that be actionable by the loan servicers? I don't, I don't think so. Um, and, and so it's it's not, you know, I, I think that I, I'm not saying there's no argument here, but I think that it's like really far from a knockdown argument. And I think that like, um, you know, and this is just the first step, right? Like we don't even have to, we don't even get to deal with the other arguments unless and until someone can find standing. And I'm not sure it's the servicers. Mm-hmm. Well, Maggie, Maggie Cobbler in the chat says that one of the provisions of the previous version of the TPP was if they, if we pass environmental laws that harbor corporations, future business, they had per se standing to sue, which is wild. Oh my God. I hate the law so hard. <laughs> would, guys, would we tell you worst. how rigged this stuff is? When, 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 look, I'm the world's worst lawyer, but listen to Sparky. When people tell you how rigged our entire legal system is to benefit corporations and not you, I promise you we're just un- understating the case. Whew. Okay. Well, Sparky, tell me this thing about um, moving the the servicing in-house, is that something that maybe should have been part of the Biden administration's strategy, maybe still could be part of the Biden administration's strategy to try to avoid some of these these issues going forward, these legal challenges going forward? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I guess it could have been. I also, you know, there's always, (laughs) I think there's like a lot of tension here, right? Because like, uh, yeah, on the one hand, that could kind of undercut some of the legal arguments and, and give a little bit more power and leverage. On the other hand, um, you know, the Department of Education is already to a, a very large extent one of the world's largest debt collectors. And like, do, do I want even more of the Department of Education to be mm-hmm. even more of a direct debt collector? I mean, I don't know. Maybe yes. Maybe that makes it all easier to attack. But, I, you know, I, I could very easily see somebody being like, well, actually, that's a reform in the wrong direction. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, so Sparky, tell me this. I mean, what do you make about the aspect of Jed's argument that says, okay, this actually isn't a problem if we use the Higher Education Act of 1965 as a hook as opposed to the HEROES Act of 2003, which the Biden memo seems to be angling to use? So look, I, I would love if they use the Higher Education Act. I also think they have enough legs under the HEROES Act to get it done. So, you know, but why not, why not, why, why not, 
why should they not use the Higher Education Act if per Jed's argument, and tell me if this part of it is wrong too, they are, you know, they would have to narrow Biden's stated plan under the HEROES Act to make it pass muster and make it seem like a COVID-related policy. And people would have to show that they were actually harmed by COVID. Whereas under the HEROES Act, they could make it more expansive. I'm sorry, under the Higher Education Act, they could make it more expansive and do even full cancellation if they so wanted. I don't think – so this is one of the things that, that that kind of upset me in the show, which is that, like, I really, I really, 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 really don't think that anyone should be pushing the Biden administration to narrow this relief in any circumstance. Agreed. Because proving COVID impact on an individual basis is going to be – the income test is already going to be disastrous for the effect for the effectiveness of this policy. And adding, like, a COVID-affected bit to that – is going to be just an absolute nightmare that's going to be totally counterproductive. And so, you know, what I would like to see and what I have seen and what I think exists, although I'm not the right person to make them, are arguments about how this interacts with the payment pause, with the economic effects of COVID, and whether we can make that justification under the HEROES Act work without having this individualized review, which again, you know, is, is like, like, I see the point that he's making, but I don't find it I don't find it quite as conv- – he hasn't convinced me that there are no other alternatives. And I know that there are other folks out there, including like Lou Carino, who wrote the original you know, Higher Education Act Authority paper uh, and, and mm-hmm. others at the Project on Predatory Student Lending who are thinking about this very carefully and doing their best to help the administration to the extent it's willing to listen um, – shore up the argument here. But I guess I would say – so in response to that, I, I would say that like – it's not clear to me that there is no COVID impact argument to make on a broad basis. We certainly shouldn't narrow that basis. I would love to see them use compromise and settlement instead. And I think it would actually be easier than Jed suggests. But I also am kind of wary of this point that I heard Jed making, which seemed to be like, look, you know, we're kind of we're kind of screwed either way in the Supreme Court, right? And so what we want is we want to lose 6-3 instead of losing 9-0. And like that... I don't think is the case at all. I actually think, A, we have a lot of of leverage here still. And to the extent that we can stay energized, we can still make this happen, whether under the Higher Education Act or under the Heroes Authority. And B, I just don't think that like it's ever going to be that clean. In the same way that I, I, I think it's neither true that the Biden administration did this totally genuinely and uncynically and didn't have any, you know, there was nobody in there who was thinking, oh, yeah, well, if this fails, we'll be good anyway. And I also don't think that the whole thing is some cynical ploy to have it fail so that they can claim credit without having to do anything. I also like I don't think that the precedents are going to as cleanly control. And I don't think the precedents cleanly control at all at the Supreme Court. This might depend on some other big issue that's before the court in the same term and whatever horse trading is going on behind this, behind the scenes with the justices in terms of some other issue. So like you just you never know. And I don't want people to fall into a fatalism of thinking like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I have fifteen thousand dollars in student debt that I'm never going to be able to pay back. And also this would have helped me. But oh, well, it's not going to happen. Like sucks. Uh, you know, well, no, we still have some power here. I, I didn't actually. I didn't actually hear Jed is making a fatalistic argument. I heard it more as a warning because it seemed to me that when he talked about the Higher Education Act, he was saying like fully this is 
the sky is the limit. You can ask for anything and our odds are relatively good there. So, so for one, I take your point that there is still an argument to be made for, um, you know, COVID still being here and this being legitimately argued as COVID relief. And I think that that's completely fair and true. And we touched on that briefly at the end of the episode. We were running out of time a little bit. But yeah, like obviously COVID is still here. And I think that's, you know, it's perfect. There, there are other kind of COVID interventions that are still in place. And I think that's there's a completely legitimate argument for that. But I think the question is, if there is a stronger argument under the Higher Education Act, why wouldn't you argue first and foremost under the Higher Education Act and argue under the HEROES Act, at least in the alternative? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's a good question. I think like the <laughs> again, there are some like cynical answers to that question. And then I think there's probably the more realistic answer to that question, which is this is probably the result of a lot of fighting that was going on behind the scenes between the Department of Education and the White House and different people within different in each institution who wanted different things, some of whom wanted no cancellation, some of whom wanted full cancellation, some of whom wanted to limit the uh, the ability to push for more cancellation in the future. Right. Uh -huh. like, so Sparky, you, you're like, you don't think that this is like a cynical maneuver necessarily, but that right there, the idea that they might have intentionally chosen the HEROES Act because it has built-in guardrails against doing more, where the yeah. Higher Education Act doesn't, that's like, that's so fakakta. Like, the, the idea that the whole thing might be ruined. And I take your, I, I really, I don't want to do awfulizing. It's not over, and we are pushing and fighting. But the idea that the whole thing could be ruined by the Supreme Court simply because Biden was such a schmuck that he didn't want to to, to even open the possibility of a door to full cancellation. I mean, that's, I mean, look, that is like evil shit. Yes, I, I agree. And I, I actually, I think there are probably some people, again, this is, this is an institution with a lot of different, it's, it's always like, it's a big messy compromise that whatever ends up happening, then you kind of look back and you put the narrative on it. Right. But there's no real narrative right now in terms of how this happened. There's not like intent. I don't think that we can ascribe intentionality behind it. To that degree, I do think there are almost there are definitely some people who did not want cancellation in the administration and who are pushing to make it as limited as possible. But I, I also think that like, so I think the the Jed position, as I can at least caricature it, is is like Heroes Act weak, uh, compromise and settlement strong, and so we sh we should be pushing, pushing, pushing for compromise and settlement. I think that my sorry, position. Can I ask you? I'm sorry, yeah. I'm a dumb lawyer. I'm the worst lawyer in the world. Why you're characterizing using the um, Higher Education Act as compromise and settlement? Yes, sorry, that's just those are the words in the Higher Education Act. Oh, I see. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Um, that you know, it says that the that the Secretary of Education has the power to compromise and settle. Uh, got it. Got it. Debt. Sorry. Okay. Thank um, you. <laughs> so you know, I, I think the Jed position is like here's Act weak. Higher Education Act strong, push, 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 Higher Education Act, like we got to turn them away from this weak thing. I I think that like the two thoughts that I hold in my head simultaneously due to the fact of the ultimate uncertainty around this are actually, I think the HEROES Act is potentially stronger on the admin grounds than, than Jed gives it credit for. And I think that there are particular aspects around the way that the moratorium has operated and how people have been harmed by and post moratorium there are some arguments to be made there that i'm not the right person to have on to talk about but if you wanted to like try to get somebody from project and predatory student lending or something one of the really smart lawyers to do that they they probably could i think there are better arguments there than are given credit for 
And I also think that the Higher Education Act, like, I think that's the right one. I think it's good. I think it's obvious. I think it's both the textual and the interpretive and the historical and just the logical read of the Higher Education Act as if the government makes a loan. A lender can always cancel a loan. There's nothing illogical about that. It's consistent with prosecutorial discretion. Like, I think there's a lot of good arguments there. But as has come up in the chat, the support, just because, you know, in both of these areas, like having good arguments is not necessarily going to win in this Supreme Court. So and so I, I guess I think the yeah. delta between these two things is not as obviously large to me as it seems to be to Jed, such that I think that the strategic move is not necessarily to say, administration, you need to change, 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 change your position. It might be also to say, well, actually, we've got a good enough position right now. I love for you to have this other position, which is maybe marginally stronger. But also, we can't be pinning all of our hopes on survivability in the Supreme Court. I'm not sure I have a good way around that, but the Supreme Court sucks. What I guess I don't understand, Sparky, is even if it's only marginally better, and I think it's more than marginally better, right? Because under compromise and settlement, you can have the whole shebang. You can have full student debt cancellation. And maybe Jed is wrong about this, but there is some possibility that you might have to that the court, whomever, may end, end up shrinking what Biden has already said could be done because of the limitations of the HEROES Act. So whether or not that's true, you you fully concede that the the edu, um, the 1965 Education Act is a better is a better is a better hook for this. Then why not? I don't understand what the downside is of the administration pivoting or you know it, nothing has happened yet. We're not in court yet. So I don't understand what the downside is of alerting that the alerting the administration that it should take the stronger of the two arguments and lead with the stronger of the two arguments because I I take your point that the Supreme Court is 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 a bag of crazy cats and they can do whatever they want regardless but Jed is, Jed's concern is that if it's not the if it's not perceived as the Supreme Court being crazy but the Supreme Court being reasonable and the Biden administration's case being weak that leaves student debt advocates in a worse situation than if we feel legitimately wronged by the Supreme Court and the world sees that the Biden administration's case was strong, but that the Supreme Court is partisan. Yeah, I guess I, I don't give a whole – I mean maybe this is just me not being smart enough to play like the 3D jet chess like long politics game. I don't really – I don't care whether we lose 6-3 or 9-0 on this if we're going to lose because I want people's student debt canceled. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think it's clear. So I like compromise and settlement better. One of the reasons I like compromise and settlement better is because I think that it justifies canceling all student debt at any time in any context. And I'd like to see them use it for that reason, because I think that it strengthens my argument around the fact that student debt as a whole is unjust and it should be canceled. It is not at all obvious to me that a judge, that a federal judge or that the Supreme Court would actually agree that those little words in the Higher Education Act are stronger than the HEROES Act. In other words, it, it, there might be kind of a strategic legal reason that makes the HEROES Act stronger. Again, I'm, I'm not the best person to speak to that. I'm just some dude who knows you and likes you and called in on the show. Um, <laughs> But like you're not just some dude, you're a consumer <laughs> protection advocate, you're an attorney, you work for strike debt, like you're not just some dude sparky. But look, but look, all, what I'm saying is that like if this Supreme you know, if this Supreme Court is gonna kill it either way, then I'd rather have them kill the Heroes Act. If the Why? Supreme Court has a chance of, of making it go through, 
I don't know whether they'll whether they're more likely to make it go through on heroes or or compromise and settle. I like compromise and settlement for all the reasons that I said. I don't know what the court's going to do. This is like one of those like kind of real politic questions that I don't I don't really know how to deal with. But like I don't think it's as simple as like oh this you know these COVID things mean that we should be using the broader authority because God forbid the court look at the words compromise and settlement and go, ah, uh, we don't really think that means that he can cancel all the student debt. We think that means that he can do something, something short of that. And the thing, <laughs> the thing that would happen that I think we all know that is what would happen is like, it wouldn't be Jed, I'm sure, because, you know, I think that he's more or less right on this aspect of it. But the second the Biden administration releases a memo that says we're using compromise and settlement, some other law professor is going to be in the Atlantic and be in Washington Post saying, well, you know, actually, that's not quite what it means. Okay, but why why do you think, Sparky, that – why would you prefer, rather, for the Supreme Court to strike this down on the HEROES Act than compromise and settlement? Because the HEROES Act is narrower. So you're saying that you you have another bite of the apple after that? Yeah, at the Supreme, I, and you know, I think this is again, this is like, this is just way too far attenuated from reality at this point to know to like have any meaning as a preference. Because my preference is for the student debt to get canceled, however it's going to get canceled. And just realistically, looking at what I think is most likely to happen right now, I feel that people's energy is best put toward figuring a wa- out a way for what they said they're going to do to actually work as a thing that they're going to do. I don't think that like, I just, I guess I don't think that we have a great chance of making that pivot happen at this point, although I'd be happy to be wrong, but I also don't think that it needs to happen. If we're going to get way down the road, then yeah, exactly. As you said, I mean, the higher education act is, I mean, that's the, that's the key, right? And if the Supreme court right now is going to say like, no, that's, that doesn't do anything. Then I think that's a big, 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 big problem for us. If they said you can't do this on the heroes act and then the Biden administration came back and did it again under higher education then like you know that's better than the other way around but again that's that's so there is so much uncertainty between now and then and so many hurdles and so many bridges that need to be crossed in terms of like the standing and the midterms and whatever else is going to happen in the meantime that like i think we need to just be pushing and pushing back against the repayment beginning. And I think that, you know, to make the plug that we've talked about, and, and I know like, you know, there's some, uh, we, we all have some arguments about the effectiveness effectiveness of this or not, but like to the extent that folks want to sign up for the debt collectives, student debt strike for when the payments begin, like we can't let up the pressure on any front. I just don't feel like at least my energy and I know that the folks I know who work on this day in and day out from the student debt specific perspective, as opposed to the constitutional administrative law perspective, like uh, everyone who I know basically thinks that the energy is better spent trying to make this little piece work right now. And so that we can keep on pushing rather than trying to kind of like take this bigger shot to make everything, to get everyone to change this thing right now before, uh, I don't know, maybe it goes up to a bad court anyway. But here, let me drop the link in any case. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of um, uh, no, 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 you're monopolizing good. I just, here. No, I, we definitely want you to because I think it's important to get to the bottom of this. I guess what I'm still hung up on is I can understand not wanting to have a preclusive judgment prevent you from 
pursuing student debt cancellation if you were thinking down the line toward a historical circumstance that was going to allow you to have a better outcome, right? So I can understand if you're saying, okay, the composition of the Supreme Court is going to be different a year from now, two years from now, in a direction that is useful to this, our agenda. Yeah. And therefore, I don't – like if we're going to have this bigger question of whether or not you can do this under compromise and settlement authority, then let's have let's, – let's delay that decision. Yeah. But it's not – But it's not. Entirely clear to me. Like I don't know what that long game really looks like. Yeah. And if the short game – and I guess you're saying this. You're not as pessimistic about the short game as Jed is, and so you're willing to say, well, let's go ahead and pursue the narrower case. Yeah. And we'll we'll live to fight another day. Like, I guess I hear that, but that's contingent on you being right about the likelihood of this going anywhere. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I and I may be wrong, right? Like, I'm not I'm not saying like Jed's definitely wrong, and I and I don't think that like that Jed's trying to do something that I that I necessarily fully disagree with here. All all I think is that you know, and keep in mind when we talk about sort of like the the big picture versus like the big move versus the little move we're still talking about the same amount of insufficient cancellation right it's literally just like what law do they say they're doing it under I mean, yes but jed and again you can push back against jed but jed was saying that he thinks that even under uh, that that under the heroes act that it wouldn't even be the ten thousand dollars that people would still have to potentially depending on what the court does blah 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 Potentially, people would have to prove that they were literally harmed by COVID in order to, for it to pass muster under the Heroes Act. You don't think that yeah, that's bear, a possibility? Well, so but bear in mind, I mean that that itself is kind of like far down the road and post loss, right? Like, I, I I don't think that a court is ever going to say that in this particular case. I mean, I guess I could be wrong, but the way that I would see this going is the court's going to say like. If we're going to lose on this, it's be, it's going to be because the statute does not give the president sufficient authority in this context. Oh, sorry. Hold on. My daughter is playing with my headset here. Um, <laughs> the court does not that the statute doesn't give the president authority in this particular context to do that. The court's not going to say, you know, oh, but we're going to allow it, but we're going to require the Department of Education to go collect more information from people. Right. It's then going to be up to the administration to decide what they're going to do in response and if they're going to try to change it somehow in order to make that happen. And, you know, in that case, they could even just come back and say, OK, we're well, now we're going to try to use the Higher Education Act. But that's what I'm saying is like it's not like all of these all of these circumstances, all of these results are so far down the line. And I also don't want people, again, to get dis uh dissuaded and discouraged and get fatalistic about this because i think that the more the more support the more action the more of a push the more this kind of gets fully integrated into people's lives and, and like i know you were joking earlier and i don't want people to go out and like do something crazy that if this doesn't happen is going to ruin your financial life but i do think to the extent that like to the extent that everyone uh, to the extent that, that no one accepts that this is actually going to happen, that is going to hurt the case. And to the extent that people, to broadly speaking, media and whatever else, kind of see this as something that's going to happen that will actually help, even if it's just vibes, like that matters in court and that matters to judges. And, you know, it, it, and also like if this is going to end up before the Supreme Court, it's going to take a really, really long time and it's going to depend on if they are going to get an injunction. 
and all of this stuff that I think is, is far from certain. And so I, I, the main the main thing that I just want to push back on is this idea that like, oh, my God, they said Heroes Act like, oh, we're screwed. It's not going to happen. Like, it's not going to happen unless they pivot. I, I think that's that's far, far, far from obvious. And I also think we're not going to know either way. And I don't feel confident enough to know that the Higher Education Act is significantly more likely to work. And and all of this is just a big ball of uncertainty. Um, but as always, the power is with us. I mean, <laughs> maybe not in a formal legalistic sense in this circumstance, but like, I think that if people were inspired by by Jed's point to go out and push for Higher Education Act authority, like more power to you. But I also don't want people to feel like the HEROES Act is an absolute lost cause in this circumstance. And like they're not going to get cancellation starting next month because I think it's still very possible that they will. If you were to find out that the Biden administration like fully just hadn't thought it through. Like the reason they chose heroes. If I were to find that out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, let's bring it. Like, this, this is my fundamental thing. Like, if I, if if there is a strategic choice being made yeah. to do heroes and not compromise and settlement, I can accept that. What it feels like, what it feels like, is uh, a lack of follow through and foresight. That has been a characteristic of the Biden administration and a characteristic in particular of its pursuit of student loan reform. It's been dragging its feet. And for reasons that I know from off the record conversations, that is my impression of what has been happening in the Department of Education. And so that I, makes me feel like if there yeah. is – if this is just an accident and no one really thinks there's a lot of strategic value in doing uh, Heroes Act, then yes, before anything happens, like there's nothing – there's no lawsuit already. Like there's no, there's no setback. There's no drawback to just warning the, the – like do, basically doing the Department of Education's work for them since they're too uh, uh, preoccupied by God knows what else to be thinking about this. And planning in advance. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, I, I yeah. guess I'm, I'm just really struggling to see. Like, to me, my my takeaway from this episode wasn't to be fatalistic. It was to go out and do a full court press about how the Biden administration absolutely can do this. And it needs to rely on the blah, blah, blah Education Act of 1965. Yeah. Well, so I guess here's Mars. I, I 100% agree. From what I know, obviously, I'm not inside the administration, but it sure as hell looks to me like they didn't know what the hell they were doing. And, you know, like this was kind of slapped together at the very last minute, (laughs) like at the very, very, very last possible minute, they slapped this thing together. And, and no, I mean, obviously, like, I, I think that that all seems right to me, but I think that like, it seems to me like the, the, choice between the heroes act and the higher education act is like well i don't know i've got i've got this blindfold on right now for the heroes act and you know i can kind of see through it but like i can't see very much but maybe that other blindfold for the higher education act might be a little clearer uh, i don't know it's not those aren't equivalent <laughs> i mean the whole point and you can tell me if you think the jed's wrong about this but the whole point of those is that those aren't 
blindfolds with equal levels of transparency. That work, the, the the Supreme Court is the non is the is the variable that we cannot control. But we, what we can control is public perception and our ability to make the best argument. And it seems like you agree with Jed that the the Higher Education Act is the best argument. And I do think it does make a difference for the longevity of the movement and the in the commitment of the movement and them not being demoralized. If we get struck down by Kagan and Sotomayor and Katanji Brown Jackson, versus if we get struck down by just a handful of conservative judges who we know where they're coming from anyway. Yeah, I that's possible. I mean, I you know, that's not something that like that I am equipped to sit and worry about is like which Supreme Court justices saying what are going to make people feel which way. Um, there's also the possibility that it doesn't get struck down. I mean, that it actually passes muster because it yeah. is, in fact, a better argument. Than, I mean, come on, come, come on, Sparky. Like, what do you think of um, Jed's substantive argument that when you look at how the Supreme Court in its current composition has ruled on vaccine mandates and any number of COVID COVID associated policies, that it is highly unlikely. Not because it's a good argument or a bad argument or because it's fair, it's unfair, or whether or not COVID is actually here, but because of who we know they are and what they've already done. But it's frankly unlikely that they're going to say that we are in the middle of a COVID pandemic that makes it so that people cannot pay their loans, and therefore Joe Biden has the authority under the HEROES Act to cancel this debt. I mean, I, I'm having a hard time. Like, I, I think that my, there are people who are not terrible people who would have a hard time buying that argument. My, my, my issue... My issue with that argument is mm. if I play the same game on the Higher Education Act, it just makes me really upset. <laughs> you, so you think, if, because you think that they would have the exact same feelings about the language of the Higher Education Act, despite it's, it's saying specifically – what did we just read at the top of this episode? That, that the Department of Education has the authority to, quote, enforce, pay, compromise, waive, or release any right, title, claim, lien, or demand, however acquired, including any equity and any right of, or any right of redemption. That sounds a heck of a lot closer than COVID vibes. It's hard out here for a pimp. Let's cancel debt. You know? Yeah. No, I, I think – so, again, I'm like – I'm agree with Jed, and I agree with you, and I like the Higher Education Act better but i don't think that the hero i don't think that the chances of losing on the heroes act are so great and i'm also just worried i'm worried that we're not going to get the higher education act and we can push for it we can push for it all we want but i want to make sure that the vibes outside that the background music that the like the the whole ambiance of this entire situation is not oh, shoot, we better, like, try to make sure we know what the court's going to say or we got to wait around and see what the court's going to say because the court is in charge of student debt cancellation. Just like I don't think that really Joe Biden is in charge of student debt cancellation or Miguel Cardona is in charge of student debt cancellation. Like, this happened because we pushed for it. And I think that pushing, you know, pushing to use the best legal authority that you can is good and useful and may cut down a little bit on some uncertainty but to me it seems like that uncertainty is so deep and so broad that it's going to exist either way and we need to keep making the case that student debt cancellation is right and it's just and it's necessary and that this is an absolutely necessary first step and that we're not going to accept anything less and like i for one just don't want to have to start quibbling 
about these little legal technicalities, particularly where I don't think that they're necessarily going to make a huge difference and have that distract from the larger point, which is like, this has to get done. It doesn't matter how it gets done. This has to get done because we're demanding it, because we need it, because it's the only just thing. When you say you're afraid you're not going to get compromise and settlement authority anyway, are you saying that you think that the Biden administration would rather sink this policy than open themselves up to what could happen under compromise and settlement? I'm trying not to ascribe some intentionality to what I know are a big group of people arguing about this, but I think that there's a decent chance that like, yeah, the people who are pushing, (laughs) the people who would be pushing for compromise and settlement might not win that fight in that like, not that the Biden administration as a thing is going to say, no, we're going to stick with the HEROES Act, but basically just like there's too much inertia at this point. And, and yeah, that's a possibility. Isn't that like super effed up, Sparky? Yes. Is there no value to just plainly saying that this is what's going on right now with the Biden administration? Isn't that ultimately saying at the end of the day that the cynical case is true, that the Biden administration is foregoing its better legal case and the best chance of actually pursuing real student debt reform because it would rather sink its own policy than open itself up to actually doing what it should do and cancel all student debt? Yes. No, 100%. That is absolutely true. You could say that from the beginning. You could say that about the policy that they enacted even if – and when I think – because it's going – I think it's going to work even when it works, which is that – there are people, and we know who some of them are. We know that Susan Rice was against this. There are people who have prevented student debt policy from being the just and good outcome, which is actually not even just and good. It's just like a minor reparation of what it should be, which is they've prevented it from being full cancellation. They've prevented it from being universal cancellation even from what it is. Yeah, so like this to me, this is just like if that's – if. If, in fact, people are preventing the stronger policy from being used, like we're already way past understanding what the Biden administration is doing here, which is the Biden administration is trying to take a very narrow approach that is going to leave millions of people harmed as a result. And my only goal here is to do what what I what I think I can to make sure that the at least what they're doing works and that we can keep pushing for the next thing. And so, again, you know, Jed might be right. Jed might not be right. It all looks to me a lot more uncertain than it looks to him. And as a result, I'm not exactly sure that pushing for this pivot is the right thing to push for. But you're not going to get any hesitation from me on saying like, oh, the Biden administration as a whole is interested in not doing the right thing here. Obviously, they're not doing the right thing. They did effectively what SoFi asked them to do. That's that's obvious to us, but it's it's not obvious to all of these sycophants who are out here asking us to, you know, to have a Maypole festival for Joe Biden because of his benevolence as our fair leader. You know, like, but, I'm, but no, I, I don't think that I don't think that the people who are asking you to be sycophants for the benevolence of the, of the great leader are going to be convinced that he's not benevolent by the difference between the Heroes Act and the Higher Education Act in terms of the administrative law. Uh, Administrative Procedures Act and the likelihood of this Supreme Court based on the precedents holding one versus the other, right? Like, and that's why, like, 
I think that that we need to continuously always go back to the moral case for why student debt is unjust. And that's why I get scared when I hear podcasts and like people talking about, you know, you know like, yeah, you guys came around and you guys said like, this is, you know, obviously what we want is not for the administration to go through and ask everybody if they were harmed by COVID in order to get the relief. Like that's a very bad outcome, but like that's, that is so far from, I mean, that's, that's not what they're doing now. It's not what it's on the table. It is potentially what maybe would shore this up under the heroes act to some extent, arguably before some judges, but like, I guess I just, I I'm worried about, shifting the argument to these little technicalities and making it a law professor argument because i think that the moral push is still the same and if you're looking for proof that the biden administration is not interested in doing the right thing here that they're trying to take half measures that they're trying to do the minimum they can possibly do in order to kind of get away with it like the the heroes act versus higher education act is is not the thing and i think that the job of, of lawyers and law professors who are interested in seeing this happen right now, in my opinion, based on like, again, what I've seen in terms of the certainty and uncertainty and the folks that I've talked to who work on this stuff day in and day out in the student debt space is like what, what lawyers need to be doing is figuring out a way for the HEROES Act to work. And what we all need to be doing is continuing to make the big moral case. I mean, we can make the big moral case, Sparky. I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive. But the conversation that's happening right now is Biden did this amazing thing. He canceled $10,000 of student debt, which is as, as insignificant or as insufficient as we think it is, represents the largest kind of single debt cancellation on this level in history. People are you know, justifiably very excited about it, including the one third of all student debtors who are getting their full debt cancellation. Yeah, they should be excited. They should, they should get their debt canceled. And the entire, from my perspective, it feels like the wind is largely out of the argument for the broader moral case, because at this point, when someone like me says, opens my big mouth with all my privilege (laughs) and status and says, oh, but actually it should be all debt. I just look like a schmuck. So as far as I'm concerned, if this policy is rolling on as expected and Biden saw experienced no obstacles and actually following through on the policy as he's articulated it, then apart from me wringing my hands on the margins about how he promised to cancel all student debt for HBCU grads and all student debt for public university <laughs> grads under making making under $125,000 a year, my, my job here for this cycle at least is largely over. And so I hear what you're saying about making the big moral case – but I think in some ways, I, the reason why I'm attracted to this argument that Jed is making is because I, I feel empowered by the possibility of, one, Jed, for reasons that I don't fully understand, says that if we were going to do it under the compromise and settlement, that it would take another year or so. I, again, I don't know I don't why. think that's right. I, I mean, I don't – yeah, I don't think that's right. I think that he's thinking that there has to be something that goes into the um, Federal Register, and, and I'm not sure that's true. But that's a question for somebody who's not me. Okay. Um, so yeah. ha- I mean, talk to Eileen Connor. Project okay, Pepper, and, I've, and I have Lennox. reached out. I have reached yeah. out to her and, and Thomas. But my my feeling is like, for one, on that, if if that were to be true, then I love an excuse to extend the moratorium because yeah. everybody benefits from the moratorium, even if you're not getting your loans canceled. Yes. Okay. Two, it opens up, it keeps the door open for us making our big moral case for full debt cancellation in a way that the Narrow Heroes Act does not. I mean, you know, in terms of like. Right now, in this instance, you yeah. know, how much should we be fighting for? 
and the more expansive stuff for the HBCUs and uh, public university students, at least, because that's what Biden promised. That's not me imposing my Bernie goals. That's Biden's own promise. Yeah. You know, and, and, and to me, like that, that keeps hope alive. That's a better posture for me to be in to be able to argue that Biden's a, a cynical, true liar that is would rather, um, you know, convince us all to, to to be jubilant and excited for him over midterm season when he full on knows that he is sacrificing our futures so so as to avoid broader exposure to the public who he's made promises to. To me, I see a lot of. And I, and I know that my rhetorical values are not necessarily what's best for the American people, but I see a lot of rhetorical value in that. Sure. So when you, so when you say the reason to be a little skeptical of Jed's argument or to be worried about it is that you're concerned that it's not going to enable us to make the big moral case, I actually feel the opposite. I, I'm struggling to make the moral case. I mean, obviously I do, but I'm struggling to make the moral case now that Biden has agreed to some degree of cancellation. More so than if I were able to go ahead and have this renewed case about how Biden was actually basically undermining his own legal arguments to protect himself at our expense. Uh, I'm not sure I follow that last part. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. So my, my, I think I feel more empowered being able to argue that Biden is basically throwing his own agenda under the bus, picking a less strong legal argument so as yeah. not to have to actually cancel all student debt. And I can make the argument for full stack cancellation and all of that by doing the, yeah, uh, the other strategy than I do under the, in the current moment when all I can really do is say, well, Biden still hasn't fully fallen through for his pop promises. Yes, we should have full cancellation. I wish Bernie were president, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, and and that's fine, and that's fair, and I think that like you should use all the rhetorical tools that are that are available to you. But I, I also, I guess. Part of maybe what's motivating this too for me, this this very strong feeling in this regard is like I know how extremely uh, burdensome student debt is for millions and millions of people. And I have talked to people and I've had clients for whom their student debt made them, you know, have feel suicidal and drove them to you know, completely upend their lives in various ways out of fear that it's going to affect them. You know, I know people have basically like quit their jobs and gone to uh, to do gig work because the garnishment, even though they were making less money, the garnishment on their paychecks was just too embarrassing. And, you know, I think that like there to the to the extent that people really do feel good and hopeful about this move, which I think they should, I don't see the chances of it getting struck down, even if it stays on the HEROES Act, quite as clearly as Jed sees them. And I don't want those people to jump straight back into despair. So I don't, again, I don't necessarily disagree with Jed on all of his points. I also I also like the Higher Education Act better. I think that if you can pull some rhetorical weight on this, then that's great. I do think there's a lot of value for smart lawyers and law professors like Jed to be trying to shore up the HEROES Act, maybe in addition, the HEROES Act argument, maybe in addition to the Higher Education Act. Like I think that that is probably a productive use of time as well. But I just don't want people to hear this and to hear these episodes and to see the articles and feel like, oh, well, you know, my life is right back to where it was before, because I think that 
this is this is still a big fight and it's still a lot of time and there's still a lot of uncertainty and we don't know what's going to happen but we have moved forward on this and i also think whatever happens in the courts and whatever authority gets used this is going to be hard as hell to walk back and like we're going to be here making it harder every single day in every way we can i guess okay so again like i think it's harder it's hard it's hard to walk back and it isn't like i think that the democratic party has demonstrated an ability to get away with like some pretty um, significant lies or misrepresentations as to what it can give the American people as long sure. as it can blame somebody. That's what this whole Manchin Cinema dance has been about. That's what the whole um, parliamentarian dance has been about. You know, that's what, I mean, I don't even know what justification they came up with for the not giving the $2,000 checks. They just said, eat it, and everybody ate it, you know? And yeah. and so I guess I, I guess I, the difference between us, it seems like, is that I have more skepticism of I, I I have a perhaps more cynical view of the Biden administration, which I frankly think is earned. <laughs> cynical. I mean, it's cynical in, in kind of a narrow way, because I think that you and I agree on the broadly cynical view that they really didn't want to do this. And they did the bare minimum they possibly could. Um, yes. It's it, it's just this kind of like more narrow question of like, did they did they intentionally choose a legal authority that they thought was likely to lose? Um, that maybe you have a slightly more cynical view of than I do. Well, even though they chose it because they thought it – now, they didn't choose it necessarily because they they knew it was weaker and wanted it to fail, but that if given the choice between something that would win, had a better chance of winning, but also created all of this po- political exposure for them to do more, they would rather risk losing than be forced to do more. And that to me sounds like – it's got Joe Joe Robinette Biden's name all over it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, no, I, I, I think you know, I, I don't think we're that far apart. It's just I think the difference on that is that I'm, I'm not sure that the that the difference between the risk of loss on these two authorities is as extreme as Jed or maybe you think it is. Well, the other the other part though. Um, and I'm going to bring Maggie up as the next caller because I know you've been saying a lot of legal things in the chat, and I want you to weigh in here too before I let Sparky go because he's been very generous with his time. But I, I, the other part of this is I'm thinking about the dynamics and the politics of the COVID stuff. And so much of the country perceives COVID as this pretext to expand the authoritarian yeah. arm of the state. And yeah. I don't even know politically that we want to be in a place where when – to so many people, COVID is over. And again, I know, I know. But to so many people, COVID really is on the decline. I know cases, more people died this month than from 9-11. Like, I get it. Like, I know. But to so many people, <laughs> COVID is on the decline. You can you can fight that tooth and scream, you know, with yeah. tooth and claw. But that's how people think. And that's how people are living their lives and things are open and we're all just pretending it's over regardless. So if everyone's acting like it's over anyway – I, I just don't know that even for, for Biden's benefit, for Biden's sake, for the Democratic Party's sake, I don't know that it wants to be in a position of saying that, oh, we're going to do this thing on the basis of a disease that people think is over. Yeah. Well, I, I guess one other thing to say, I, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I also think that there are going to be a lot of, you know, we don't know the extent to which 
the this is the authority that's going to be relied on in all circumstances and on all fronts. And so, like, for example, one of the other things that I disagreed with in your conversation with Jed mm-hmm. was he, you know, you had asked him about these other changes that they announced, including like the new income driven repayment plan. Mm-hmm. And he had said, like, well, you know, if that's on if that's on the COVID authority, then obviously that's a big problem. But it's it's that they did not announce that on the COVID authority. They you know, that was going to be a thing that they will do a rulemaking for. And so, you know, the I think that like the memo that was released with this saying why the president could do it is is one thing. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious, and maybe Jed's article or maybe your pushing is gonna make the difference in terms of what they actually claim in a brief if and when they get challenged and if and when they get past standing (laughs) which is itself going to take some time Mm -hmm. um uh, you know it might not be the covid it might not be the covid authority it might not be the heroes act it might be both it might be who who knows what um and and again i'm not saying that there's like zero value in in doing this and in having these arguments i just i'm worried about the level of certainty uh you know and uncertainty here and like what is actually worth the time and what this communicates to people who are, you know, really, really actually worried about how this is going to affect their lives. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, I'll say this, Sparky. If I thought that this was going to demoralize people, I wouldn't be interested in it either. I sure. hope that it will have the opposite effect, but let's hear from some folks. Maggie, I know that you said you're in bad reception area and you've got dogs barking, but I'm curious to hear from you directly if it's too spotty then we can try again another day but unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind are you with us maggie can you unmute yourself i know that Gosh, I know. she was just in the chat a minute ago i know maggie maggie are you with us maggie going once maggie going twice Wake up, Maggie. I think I've got something to say to you. That's a song. <laughs> I like okay. Sam. I like I like Sam. I like Sam's uh, note in the chat just now, which I, I agree that we should be organizing to move toward the the jubilee and to free call it. I mean, that's I think what we really you know that is the logical endpoint here. That has always been the endpoint. That is always where we need to get to and where we need to go. And so, um, and so I, I do agree in terms of that, uh, you know, sort of prioritization of, of efforts. Uh, oh, Maggie's well, here but and how trying. Do we, how do we get that, Sparky? Because my feeling was when every flotsam and jetsam was like, oh, well, we can't cancel student debt because the real issue is we need to deal with higher education. It was infuriating to me that all of the progressives that can hop on to MSNBC at a moment's notice weren't going on there and saying, yeah. Uh, here's a Bernie bill issued yeah. a year or two ago that yeah. has a plan to deal with exactly that. Uh, yeah. you're gonna be Bernie literally put it out. He literally put it out. Yes. <laughs> but that wasn't what any of those schmucks said. I'm sorry. No. I'm like overusing the schmuck today, but like, that's the nicest word I can come up with for some of these people. <laughs> no, I think, I think, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. I mean, that should have been the line that has always been the debt collectives line. Like, you know, the, the problem is the commodification of education right? The problem isn't student debt. The problem isn't high student debt. The problem isn't student debt for Pell Grant recipients. The problem is that education is something that should be collectively provided as a society, just like it was for elementary school. And then we decided it needed to be for high school too. And then for a while, in some places, it was for college too, until Ronald Reagan stepped in and ruined it. Like, 
That's the big issue. This is the thing that we need to undo. We need to turn back the clock. And in fact, I think one of the more useful ways to characterize student debt cancellation is just retroactive free college. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I'm, and, and, yeah, I'm and I'm you. and I'm sorry. I do need to take off, but okay, no I, I, I want to say two quick things before Please. I go. Number one is there is the question earlier about uh, taxes and whether student debt cancellation will raise taxes, which I think I initially misunderstood. You addressed correctly by saying that student debt cancellation will not raise taxes more broadly. I do want to flag for people that there have been some articles about how states are going to treat federal student debt cancellation in terms of income if and when it happens. And I think like that's a very annoying and very uh, frustrating aspect, which is that some tax systems, most tax systems treat debt cancellation as income for the purposes of income taxes. Don't get your tax advice from a podcast. Mm. Go and talk to somebody about it if you think it's going to apply to you. But I would just, I would flag that, that some states have said that, that um, they're going to treat canceled debt as income, which could potentially raise your tax liability. And I think it's a, an extreme example of how ridiculous this is, because there are going to be millions of people who see no effect at all on their payments from this cancellation, but will owe more taxes as a result, which is just absolutely see, Sparky, bonkers. I thought that was the whole point of it being cancellation and not forgiveness. I remember Bernie making a a big deal out of this during the campaign and being very forcing us to be very careful with our yes uh, vocabulary to always say cancellation and not forgiveness yes yeah no i mean i i think like that's that's a good point there are other better there are other reasons to use cancellation and not forgiveness as well but it's yes, going to come down to, to like state tax wrong. yeah it's going to come down to state tax policy to some extent and i i obviously can't really like tell people what to do on that other than to like watch out for it. And then the other thing I just wanted to plug quickly is, you know, we're all talking about federal student debt all the time. Private student debt is also a big issue for people. And it's an mm -hmm. issue that a lot of action is happening on right now. Mm -hmm. uh, in a week and a day, the Debt Collective is going to have our first private student debtors assembly. And if you want to get involved in that if you want to sort of be on the list if you want to contribute some information to help us organize around it i'm going to post a link in the chat right now for our private student debtors form nice. and if you if you go there i mean you know it's just got some basic information about what school you went to who holds your debt what the status is um there's a lot of fun stuff that we're kind of trying to get going around private debt right now and i think that Whatever happens with cancellation, this again just highlights the fact that, uh, you know, student debt, illegitimate, unjust, that includes both federal student debt and private student debt, which wouldn't exist but for the federal student debt system. There's no reason these, these people should be profiting off of our attempt to get education. Well, thank you, Sparky. I'm so grateful for you. This has been so rich that I kind of feel like I need to clip this and put this on the main <laughs> podcast feed for balance, equal time rules. Like this is a no, no, no. Show. Get somebody better. <laughs> get somebody better than me for the main one. I'm just calling in to say hi. I, you know, like Sparky, you all. You know appreciate babe. the conversation. <laughs> well, look, Gonna I, go I, eat some dinner now. These are not mutual exclusive. Please go feed yourself. Kiss your adorable little girl for, for me, and um, thank you again for, for weighing in. All right. And thanks, everyone, for the chat, too. This is great. All right. Bye-bye, Sparky. Keep the faith. All right, Maggie, I know that you're dealing with your technical difficulties. I will come back to you. I will not forget about you, but I'm going to go ahead and bring up William as the next caller. What's on your mind, William? Can you unmute yourself, William?
Is it just the app? Is that glitchy today? Is everyone having issues? William going once, William going twice. I don't know any songs about Williams. There's probably a Will I Am song about Williams, but it's not coming to me. You're so 2000 and late. I'm just 2008. No. Okay, let's try Eric. Eric, what's on your mind? Hey, Bree. Hey, Eric. So, uh, so one thing that was on my mind is a particular um, thing that your guest brought up today, and one of the things that I think a lot of people um, on the left just need to get out of their mind is stop. We we cannot decide what we are going to do based off of what like he makes this comment like oh if you know Biden does this this sets precedent for the Republican Party to do mm-hmm. X Y and Z and that to me is like I don't understand why they keep having that argument when the Republican Party do does not care they do not need any precedent set if they want something they are going to do it. You're talking about Jed saying this on the podcast. Yeah, Jen, Jed said that, like, one of the reasons that he feared that um, for Biden to uh, ha- to use the HERO Act or to go about canceling student debt, or at least this little small portion of student, the way he's doing is because he, and, you know, using the executive order is because he fears now then that the Republican Party is then going to go and use that same thing to do some other evil conniving thing. Mm. And one of my things that annoys me with that is that it's like, do you not understand how the Republican Party works? They don't care. Yeah, I mean, I, I struggle with that a little bit because, I yeah, in a world where people follow the law and there was any kind of consistency in these matters, I would want to do the right thing. I would want to, to pass things, you know, all the laws legislatively and not try to go through the courts. And I would want us to have constitutional amendments, not go through the courts. And I would want... You know, but like, I don't know how many times we have to be beat down and abused and for all of the contradictions of precedent to go in one direction, a rightward fascistic direction for us to finally stop being patsies and all of this. So it's not that I am the one that's saying I don't think that we should respect precedent, but in a world where precedent isn't respected, I I have a hard time saying that we should operate in a way to set precedent that we know is going to be irrelevant. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I'm with you on that. And another question I had, I, I wish Sparky was still on because um, uh, I'm not sure if you guys are going to be able to answer this. Mm. Let's say if this does end up going to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court strikes strikes it down based off of whatever reason they come up with. What is the, pre- like, can Biden just simply, like, what? what I know he probably wouldn't, but Let's say there was a real true leftist president in the uh, office and they tr- cancel student debt. It gets struck down for whatever reason. Could they just ignore that ruling? Do the, Is there any constitutional um, thing? Is there anything in the Constitution that dictates that a president has to uh, adhere to it? So that's a really interesting question that we should definitely get into when we do have some of the folks strike debt has offered up to me to do follow-ups with Jed on and also someone who's more like a constitutional lawyer, like, you know, Eric Siegel who comes on a bunch or maybe Nico Bowie can come back uh, to talk about it because, you know, there have been these conversations. There are, there, there have been many things that presidents have done 
that they have not had the constitutional authority to do that they have done anyway. Mm. For example, the Emancipation Proclamation. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, like, especially because this is really an issue of federal debt, you know, if, if Biden says, we're not collecting that debt, we're just not going to do it. And a court says, no, no, no. What you, they're going to force you. Like the, the court's going to say what Biden, you absolutely must order your department of education to collect this debt that is owed to you. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Well, like, what are they going to do? Like who, who, who going to check me boo in the parlance of the Atlanta housewives. <laughs> Because the, the, the yeah, go ahead. The reason that brought me up because I always remember, you know, back in history class, I you always when you get into ja- um, Andrew Jackson and there was a I believe it was what he did with the Native Americans, mm-hmm. and the Supreme Court pretty much ruled against them. And I believe one of the quotes he had, one of the quotes he says is, "Okay, now you enforce it." Mm-hmm. He tells the Supreme Court, "Okay, you want this, you enforce," it, as in right. like I'm going to do it. So I uh, I wonder, like, constitutionally, is there anything that would be great? I, I, I really like Eric Siegel. It would be great to see if there's any. I think the only thing I could think of is if you have a truly unfavorable um, House and Senate, they could impeach and remove you. I'm That's the only thing it. I can like, think I of. Know. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I would like. Yeah, you know, yeah, sure. That's the only thing, and or and then also one of the other things that probably could be, let's say, if we do end up getting, let's again, we're imagining we had a truly leftist person as a president, and they canceled student debt. When you brought up the fact that all of these things are contracted, I could see and then says, okay, they they struck it down. Okay, I'll just end all the contracts. Right. Make the government do it, and then we just don't do it. Right. We, we will finally have, you know, we will, we will be intentionally ineffective at collecting debt because, you know, why not? Right. No, okay. I, I'm, I'm for that. I'm for that. If you, I'm like, I'm with you. I'm with you, Eric. And I really appreciate the practical way that you're thinking because in real terms, who's going to check me, boo? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, <laughs> so Eric. I appreciate you calling in. No problem. Have a good one. You too. Oh, shoot. I meant to go to William next. William, I see you at the back. I'm going to get you next. Um, but Josue, you're up. You're up. What's on your mind? Hello. <clears throat> Hello. <laughs> Sorry, I was <laughs> just binge eating some M and M's while I was just stressed listening to all of this. <laughs> Relatable. <clears throat> Let me just clear my throat real quick. <clears> throat> don't don't um, choke for us. Take your time. Take your time. <laughs> um, yeah, I I just found this whole conversation very interesting i mean i i think i agree with um was it pr- professor uh, the person you interviewed i, I forget judge his name Sugarman. judge Sugarman. yeah yeah mm-hmm. I, I i was wondering why I, I mean i was more fixated on the part of the, the conversation that he um had with you uh with um with regards to just the fact that um you know the the servicers, none of these people were prepared for any of this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I also view it very cynically um, as more of a political ploy than like, you know, actually um, 
wanting to actually, you know, being smart enough to actually figure out how to actually help people. And I thought it was a, it would have been a really brilliant idea politically to have um, to say, hey, here's the deadline. You know, we've come up at August 31st almost after like a lot of conversation with like my partners across the aisle. You know, we're going to we're going to extend the moratorium for one year and then come up with like a bipartisan legislative solution to to this. And I feel like he doesn't realize or they didn't realize or they don't realize that there are a lot of conservatives, a lot of them that would agree. I mean, I, you know, you talk to Robbie all the time and, and those folks where right? it's like they would agree that, that the cancellation could be a great idea if it was mm. just paired with a lot of the other stuff that you've been advocating for or or something to that measure, whether it would be the, you know, taxing, it seems like the right, you know, would love to tax the the Ivy League uh, endowments, right, mm-hmm. to help, pay, you know, quote unquote, pay for it, whatever. I just feel like I, I really agreed with with that angle of his argument of like, he, he could have done this much more tactically and like much more politically palatably um, and, and brought on a lot more people on the right who also think that the whole student loan system is ridiculous and like completely bogus. But like, I don't know, I just feel like he kind of got the worst of both worlds. It's like the ten thousand dollars wasn't enough for 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 most of us because I, I I you know would qualify into that, and then at the same time like the tactic he pulled was just like alienated the the all of the right and then a lot of the left as well. So I I don't know like who this policy really is even for at this point, right? It's like a small sliver of people, and again, I have you know I I haven't gotten a single message from my loan servicer regarding any of this information. Mm-hmm. So like, I was like, I've been very skeptical for even when he announced it. I'm like, I'm not going to believe anything, <laughs> any of this until, yeah. until it actually happens. Because the fact that like, they haven't mentioned anything is extremely alarming to me. And right, I, I would caution everyone. You, they're quick to email oh, you about the moratoriums. Oh yeah. Oh I yeah. I get those moratorium emails. And they, don't, <laughs> they don't know how much I make. They don't know that I don't qualify. So you're right. Like, I, we should have gotten... <laughs> We should have gotten a message of some kind. I think that's a huge red flag that no one's talking about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, no one said anything. So, yeah. yeah. So, I think it's, yeah. I, um, I'm I'm completely with you. Um, and look, I, I really appreciate where um, Sparky and the Dead Strike people are coming from. And, you know, I don't, I don't ever want to do anything that's destructive, obviously. Uh, and I have so much respect and deference for the fact that they've been in this for a really long time and they have a longer strategic game than perhaps I am privy to. But I also do think that, you know, to the extent that there is some skepticism about Biden's policy that exists, whether or not someone like Jed makes these legal points, to the extent that people have, you know, some doubts about whether or not there's going to be follow through. I mean, the reason that I, like that Jed's argument in that first Washington Post article where he was going back and forth with um, Larry Tribe caught my eye it's because it seemed obvious to me that there would be some kind of legal challenge. I'd seen Ted Cruz tweeting about it and I wanted to know, I just wanted to know what to expect because I want to be able to defeat it and cut it off at the pass. And to the extent that the only way we're going to defeat this is with movement energy as opposed to legal strategies, then I want to be prepared for that as well. And I want the legal strategies that are deployed to set up the extra legal movement as best as possible. You know, so it's, yeah. We'll I, th- I think I think we've I think this is actually a disaster. Like I think this is the worst possible outcome. Like he announced it 
and he just basically like poisoned the well of the whole idea politically. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, that's my cynical view. My positive view is like, okay, this actually doesn't get done, but maybe it actually creates more of a conversation across the aisle of like, well, we got to do something. And these universities are like, you know, making out like bandits. So maybe we can hold them accountable and then also provide some sort of, I don't know. But yeah, maybe. Look, I, I did see a news report. I forget what, what station it was, but they went into Philadelphia. They were, they, they, the pitch was, we're going into Biden's district to see what people think about student debt cancellation. And it was ostensibly like a, a more conservative part of town. I guess, I guess it's Grant, Pennsylvania they were in. And, um, there were talked to a bunch of Republicans and they were like, I don't believe in this. I think that people should pay back their own loans. Also, however, uh, my daughter has a lot of loans and I'm glad she's going to benefit from this. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a bunch of people who felt like they had to say the performative thing about how like, oh, yeah, I, I don't take handouts. I'm a good citizen. But also, oh, thank God, because I'm dying under the weight of my kids student loan debt. And I have my own debt. And, <laughs> and like all everybody had debt. Everybody had debt. So I do think that this like bled into people's psyches in a way that is if not a net good is definitely a foothold for us to capitalize on and yeah. we should do that 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 is good yeah it, it will be a net good i just i think the immediate policy is probably just not gonna i think this is gonna be a failure but i think again like you said it's i think it's bleeding into the consciousness and again i and you you you've experienced this as well like there's so many people on the right that would be very for this if it was just tied to some more accountability um, I, I also was just thinking like, I wonder if they would have just made like, a, if, if they just would have called it a tax cut, if no one would have like said anything, <laughs> like <laughs> the student loan tax cut for the people under, on, like, seriously, don't you think that like, like literally no, everyone was like, oh yeah, this is so great. Like tax cut. Great. <laughs> like, I, don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I mean, like, again, like I, I, I do agree with Sparky and why part of why I, he's my favorite student debt interlocutor is because he does make such a compelling moral case about the nature of debt in particular. And I do think there's something to be gained by teaching citizens that, or, you know, people who live in America that the government can address your debts in particular, that it's the amount of aid that has gone to Ukraine now rivals the amount that it oh would cost God, to yeah. cancel all, all medical debt. You know, at yeah. least the amount of medical debt that was outstanding prior to the pandemic. I'm not sure what the new numbers are. So, yeah, look, I appreciate you calling in, Josue, and thank you for pronouncing it. I know I've asked yeah, you that yeah. before. You've, okay, you've good. done it now. It's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Okay, perfect. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I. you can hang up on me. I just wanted to throw one more curveball at you, maybe changing the subject if you'd want to change the subject or not. Um, there's this, short like i don't know if it was a tiktok or a reel about like uh this young black woman um being like oh my god the queen the queen died and she's oh like, no i saw that Beyonce. like every single person sent that to me today <laughs> every I single person get, sent <laughs> i i could a could not relate more to that i mean not, not that i didn't know who the queen was but like Right. Uh, so that's how far down the priority list, like the queen is to me. And I'm wondering, like, I, I asked a friend of mine the other day, and I'm like, yo, like, why is everyone, like, why is the U.S., first of all, like, why is the U.S. so obsessed with it? Like, I watch the local news religiously. I'm, I'm in Massachusetts. And it, literally the entire week, it's been like 
10 to 30 minutes of the local news about like the queen coverage. And I was just, I, I'm, I grew up in Puerto Rico. Like I, you know, I'm, I, I have a very different perspective as you do since you grew up internationally that someone mm-hmm. as well. I just don't, I don't understand it because like, I just don't get it. And, and, it and then no I, I started realizing, I was like, is this a white person thing? Like, is this like a white people like <laughs> obsession? Because it's like the original like celebrity, like rich family celebrity. I, I don't know. Look, I just wanted to get where your take it was. Well, I know some white people who are not wild about it. Uh, and it was Irish Twitter. <laughs> like, yeah. so it, look, every, few, few among us have not been colonized uh, by the British. I, you know, I saw that Robbie, I haven't listened to it yet. I saw he did a radar today. Uh, criticizing that black female professor who tweeted about how she was wasting no tears on the queen's passing. And while I may or may not make the same rhetorical choices as her, I certainly don't begrudge a single solitary (laughs) colonized person to say everything to read the queen, the dozens, if that's what they feel in their, their spirit. Amen. <laughs> so, a fucking man. Um, I might have to do my a little radar of my own later this week to address all of these alleged free speech um, heroes who suddenly want to get a professor fired for tweeting out some true things about the the crown that oppressed her entire peoples quite recently in the queen's lifetime, literally as her face is, adorns their currency. <laughs> um, but that's just- a that's a different conversation, and I do have to yeah. wrap at nine thirty today, so I want to go ahead and make I, I sure apologize. I get okay. um, William. Right, in. Thank you, Bree. Thanks you're for calling in. No, you you are keep the faith. <laughs> All right, William, you're up. What's on your mind? I can hear your background noise, William. Are you with us? I'm right here. I'm 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 talking. Okay, great. What's on your mind tonight? All right, so I just wanted to, if you didn't mind, um, and I know I'm the last caller, so I'm try I'll try not to be too long. Um, I kind of wanted to uh, bring it back to the conversation we had last week because I feel like I didn't make myself clear and I frankly wasn't prepared. I Listening to it back, I was kind of embarrassed, honestly. So one thing you were talking about that I didn't respond. So to give you a reminder, I was talking about Marianne Williamson and about how the many of the religious aspects of her campaign were not as appealing to me. Um, I'll say this, first of all. I feel like I'm a bit biased in this because I'm not very religious and I have no idea what other people think, but I have kind of turned the corner on her a little bit on that specific aspect of her politics. But one thing that you said was that, you know, you wanted something different from like your traditional political campaign. And that's something that I, I agree with. Like I've never disagreed with that. Um, You know, I think what, John Fetterman's doing um, in his campaign, especially, is really cool. And, you know, behest we mentioned uh, Donald Trump, you know, not putting aside all the ugliness beside his campaign. His campaign, it was different. Like, rather than the traditional, let me as a politician make a bunch of promises that I can't keep. Um, so I've never been opposed to that. Um, but you also said something about how a lot of that rhetoric that political rhetoric is very masculine and i was kind of confused at what you on what you meant by that i'm sorry what confused about what i meant by what exactly sorry did you get any of what i said am i am I, I, I did I... I did but just confused by what i meant by what so you said um one thing you said when i called in last week was that um 
a lot of traditional political rhetoric from like a lot of traditional campaign rhetoric, like as a, you know, uh, as compared to say Marianne Williamson is very masculine. You specifically mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I was just kind of wondering what you meant by it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that there is an impression that everyone is going to be put off by things that talk about feelings and coming together and spirituality and that those are feminine things. I think that there are half of the country that it's women and that that is going to have a broader appeal to many people who don't ordinarily vote than is necessarily anticipated. I'm not sitting here prognosticating and saying, I know that Marion Williamson would have a better chance of a different other candidate or that the concerns people have raised about other things aren't legitimate concerns that she's going to have to deal with. But I think that it is a very narrow understanding of what appeals to people to say that, you know, a certain, only a certain kind of thing looks like a politician or a certain kind of thing has a certain kind of appeal. I think that Biden gets up and talks about healing the soul of the nation and gets away with a lot of kind of spiritual rhetoric because he presents as male and everyone just accepts it and swallows it. And I think that, frankly, there's a lot of hunger for that sort of a thing. I think that Marianne Williamson has sold millions of books as a consequence of that. And I have, I have witnessed, like, I'm not someone who grew up with Marianne Williamson and really knew who she was before she ran for president and got into politics, but I have been out with her and witnessed all kinds of people coming out of the woodwork who I wouldn't have expected who say, oh my gosh, I love your books or my mom loved your books and you made such a big difference in my life. And all I'm saying is that people shouldn't write off something because it's not to their taste, even though it's to a lot of other people's tastes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And look, I feel like, you know, um, you're you're definitely right, and I like Marianne, and you know I feel like I've been on this a little bit since we since I last called, um, you know it, like it's not like that rhetoric. It's not always my cup of tea, but I would not I would never um, you know I would never write her off. Um, and what else was I gonna say? Um, when you uh like when you say you know exception that um, a, like that appealing to like you know personal like emotions is more feminine i don't know if that's necessarily the case like i you know i'm 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 a guy like i don't necessarily see that as you know i don't necessarily see politicians you know appealing to personal emotions as a feminine thing like i i don't know like would you mind kind of if you don't like to use the word feminine i completely appreciate that i'm not going to do like gender discourse right now and like (laughs) Come on, like you you know what that means. I'm not gonna sit here and be, oh, I don't know what people's stereotypes of masculine and feminine are. We all know what they are. Should they exist? No, but we live in the world that we live in, and that's a shorthand that I'm using. If you prefer to use a word that's not the word feminine, I completely respect your choice. If you're offended by my choice of the word feminine, I apologize. I'm using a shorthand to try to get through some questions pretty quickly. Um, but I do, I'm sorry, I have a call at 9:30 that I'm already a little bit late for. And so I really do have to wrap. Uh, I sorry I wasn't able to get to um uh, Maggie, I don't know if you were able to come back in the chat. I'm going to sing. Uh, no, this isn't the song I want. I'm going to play you out. Uh, I think I have something. That's the song. I think it's Jim Croce. No, it's not. It's not. Here it is. Um, but we, I'm going to definitely, I think, because this was such a useful conversation, clip a piece of it to, oops, oops, oops. What's happening here? Why is that playing out loud? Oh, God damn it. Never mind. I'm going to play this out on the normal music because my computer setup is messed up. Um, thank you, everybody. 
to a bunch of the themes that we were talking about with one of the callers earlier about working within versus outside of the Democratic Party. Thank you for such a rich conversation today. Uh, and I will see you on the flip side. Keep the faith. Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, skags. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It 